Our reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The word of the Lord. So this morning, because we're a little bit shorter, we're going to be um, a little bit quicker in the sermon, a little simpler, and a little more interactive. We're going to start this morning... Uh, talking about this passage with a little game I like to call, Are You Strong Enough? So I've asked a young man to come up here who I know is stronger than me. Caleb Honer, please come on up here. Caleb's going to come on up here. He's a, Caleb, you are a rising senior here at Madison, is that correct? Yes. <laughs> and uh, they, they don't know it yet, but I also need the entire front row to come on up. The entire front row, come on up quickly, quickly. Okay, so Caleb, this game, just to start off, you, you lift weights, right? Sometimes. And, and over the past four years, have you gotten stronger? Probably. Okay. I think you have. And here's my take. I've seen you get bigger and stronger. So here's what we're going to go with. I'm going to see how many kids you can lift with your sheer strength. So I'm going to turn you around, and we're going to start with one. Young man, come on over here. I'm not sure your name, but um, if you can kind of stoop down. And let's see if you stoop down. You stand up. See if you can lift him just up in the air without dumping him off the stage. Okay, good. One. Down. Now Now we're going to add a second kid. Let's see. You come on in here. Let's see if you can lift both of these guys at the same time. No, no. You got to do both at the same time. Okay, ready? All right. All right. He's got him. Good, good, good job. Good job. All right. Hold on. Hold on. Now my question is this, Caleb. My question is this. Do you think you could lift all four of these guys at the same time? Most likely. Most likely he thinks he can. Now my next, next question is, could you lift not only these guys, but the entire first three rows. It would be a stretch. <laughs> and possibly, if you kept exercising, kept working out, kept lifting, maybe, maybe by the time you're, you know, 22, 23, you could lift the entire room. Maybe? Maybe. Okay, it's a little bit testy. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Go ahead on down, Caleb.
Now, Caleb, I do remember him four years ago actually not being as strong as he is now. He probably couldn't have lifted two kids as a rising freshman. Now he could probably lift three, maybe even four if he had the right balance going on. My concern is this. We tend to think of Christianity in much the same way as it is getting stronger to be able to lift something. We have this idea in our head that I've got to be good enough, strong enough, and we think about it in the same way as taking on an exercise routine or eating better. If I could just get my life in order, maybe in a few months, then I will be strong enough. Then I will be good enough. Then I will be faithful enough. But the reality is this. The Bible makes this clear. No matter how much religious exercise you do, you will always fall short. Because the problem is not that you're not good enough and you need to get better. It's that you are dead. And you need to be made alive. It says in our passage today, the the one that we're going to be looking at, these final couple of verses, it says in verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses. Dead in your trespasses. Now the idea there is not, hey, if you work hard enough, you can maybe, maybe get strong enough to, um, good enough and, and make God happy enough. It's that you are completely dead. So here we have Goldie. We've had Goldie for a number of years. But I keep working on training Goldie. And Goldie doesn't respond. Come here, girl. (laughs) Treats going over it again and again. I keep trying to train Goldie, and she won't follow me. She won't heal. She doesn't do anything. Why not? She's not alive. She's not alive. We can try to train ourselves to be better, start showing up at church more often. Oh, I'm going to pray in the morning or at night, which I didn't used to do. I'm going to try and avoid um, getting angry with my kids, or I'm going to be kinder to my spouse, or I'm going to be more generous. But ultimately, if you have not been made alive, You're training a stuffed animal. Another way of looking at this, you guys know the the president's race at the Nationals game, right? The president's race at the Nationals game. We've got Jefferson, we've got um, Lincoln and Washington and Roosevelt and now Taft, just to bring on some more humor. Um, But you know that these guys racing this race are really just people dressed up in costumes to look like the presidents with gigantic heads. But let's say we wanted to have a race in real life, a race in real life with the real presidents. We'd instantly eliminate Taft because he has no chance. We'd probably get rid of Jefferson because, I mean, he started UVA and they're not very good at sports, so he's going to lose anyhow. (laughs) So we'd be left with the three who were probably the most athletic. You know, George Washington was a general, we'd think. Abraham Lincoln split rail. He had to be pretty athletic. And Teddy Roosevelt is a rough rider. And so we'd be thinking in our heads, trying to compare them. If they ran a race, I'd I'd probably have Lincoln first, long legs, and and then, then Roosevelt, and then the guy who wore a wig. He's gotta be last. And we have some way of comparing these guys, figuring out based on their their athleticism, based on our assumptions about them, how they would finish in a race. But here's the reality. If we ran that race today, 
every one of them would finish last. Why? Because they're dead. They can't run the race. Our spiritual state, the Bible says, is the same way. It is as dead as an ancient president. And yet we go around constantly comparing ourselves, spiritually speaking. Am I better than her? He's really religious. Well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. But in reality, all of us, by nature, are going to finish last. The Bible makes this clear. You can't be good enough. You can't be religious enough. You can't avoid enough sins. We are spiritually dead by nature. We don't need a religious fitness plan. We need defibrillators. We need to be made alive again. But the good news is not just that we are dead in our trespasses. As Paul says, God has made us alive with him. God has made us alive with Christ. This is an act of God. This is not something we conjure up or try and work ourselves into. You don't work yourself into being alive. You are made alive. And what happens is the spirit of God begins to draw us. And if you've come to faith in Christ, you know what this is. You start to see things you didn't see before. You start to understand and grasp God has done something for you. And there's a quickening that happens. It's talked about in theological terms. The spirit brings life into your soul. And you want God all of a sudden. And that transformation begins to happen as life begins to seep in. And ultimately, you are made alive when you buy into this Jesus thing, when by faith in Christ you enter in. Elsewhere, Paul puts it this way. The moment of coming alive is by faith through hearing the word of God. In Romans 10, 17, he says, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. In Galatians 3, 2, he says, the Spirit brings life into us, not by religious works, but by hearing and believing. That's why we constantly preach the gospel here, in hopes that one day when you're here, if you've never experienced Christ like this, you will hear it, you'll hear this message of what God has done, and the Spirit will bring life. You'll say, yes, I believe that. I want that. And that life-giving moment will happen for you as it's happened for many others in this space. Gospel faith begins with acknowledging your deadness, your need of God, and then believing what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And what has God done for you in Jesus Christ? Well, we read that in our passage, the end of verse 13 and into 14. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. This he set us, sorry, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Let's just stop right there. The idea that's being talked about here, a record of debt, is like you, get a, you go to a restaurant and you get the check, the bill at the end. You've had all this food, this is how much you owe. Or in a more complicated way, it's like your mortgage there is a legal document that says the bank owns your property and you owe them a certain amount of money and if you stop paying, they will take it back. These legal documents declare these things to be true. You and I owe something. And that something we owe, according to this way of talking, 
is that all of us have trespassed. All of us, all of us are in debt. All of us have committed the crime, so to speak. This is what we talk about when we say sin. And when we talk about being sinners or sinful, often most of us think of doing bad things, right? Like, I am mean to my sister, or I was greedy, or I said horrible things. And so we think, oh, I need to not do those as much. And that's true. Immorality, vice, breaking the law of God is sin. But so is not doing the things God has called us to. Loving one another, forgiving somebody who has offended us, failure to be generous, all of that is also a sin and an offense against God. And ultimately, our offense is that we are self-serving, selfish people who do what we want all the time. In other words, we live without regard to God, and we place ourselves on the throne of our lives, doing what we want for ourselves. And that is an offense, a trespass against God. And so we are in debt to him. But what Paul is saying here is that through Jesus Christ, our record of debt has been canceled. It has been set aside. And the idea is something like this. This right here is a state of Virginia speeding ticket. I won't say whose this is, but if you've ever had one of these and you get one of these, it it identifies you and your crime going 21 miles per hour over the speed limit, and it will say you owe this much money. But what Paul is saying is through Jesus Christ, all of our offenses against God have been erased. Yes, you did the wrong. You broke the law of God. You have offended him. But in Jesus Christ, it's all been erased. Not only that, it's been torn up. And not only torn up, it's been thrown away. God no longer counts it against us. Nothing more needs to be paid. We are forgiven. But here's the reality. With forgiveness, someone must pay. Someone must pay with forgiveness. Here's an example of that. If you and a friend are out throwing the baseball in your street, and one of you decides to wind up and throw the ball really hard, and it goes through the back window of a van, then you might be forgiven, but somebody is going to have to pay. So you might go to the people who own the van and say, I'm sorry, I threw a baseball through the window of your van. Will you forgive me? And they might say, oh, I forgive you. But for forgiveness to be real, someone has to pay. Either you and your family are going to pay for the broken window, or the person who forgives you is going to pay for it themselves. Or they're going to pay by not getting the window fixed and suffering a broken window with rain and wind and cold coming in. One way or the other, someone has to pay for forgiveness to be real. And we know that that's the same reality in relationships. If you've been betrayed or hurt by a friend or a spouse, 
you have a couple of options. You can either forgive them, and that usually means you're going to absorb the pain of betrayal or hurt yourself and not count it against them. Or you will make them pay by holding it against them, by seeing to it that they suffer, by getting even with them. One way or the other, you or they will pay. The gospel tells us that we are forgiven because somebody has paid. And that's why we have that phrase that says you are forgiven because it was nailed to the cross. All of our sin, all of our trespass, all of our offense was nailed to the cross of Christ. You know, most of us, if we've heard that verse before, we think of Jesus being nailed to the cross. And that is true, that is right, but there's a piece that goes with it that several commentators hit on. And that's the inscription that went above Jesus' head in his cross. An inscription much like this, according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there was an inscription that went above Jesus when he was crucified that said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, in three languages. This was common when there was crucifixion in the Roman world. What they would do is they would identify the criminal and they would identify the crime and say, this is the reason the person is being executed. Jesus of Nazareth executed for claiming to be the king of the Jews or because he is the king of the Jews. And what Paul is saying here is every offense of ours, every sin, every crime for which we are guilty before God has been put on the inscription plate above Jesus. So it doesn't say Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews in God's eyes. It says your name and your offense. Your name and anger. Your name and gossip. Your name, materialist. Your name, defensive. Your name, proud jealous of a friend, bitter at ex-wife, self-consumed, mean to your family, career-obsessed, ignores God. Every one of our sins and offenses has been put on the inscription plate in God's eyes, and his death is for our crime. Him for us. He took our sentence upon himself. The inscription that should have been above us was placed above Jesus Christ. And all our sin, therefore, has been paid, paid in full. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you're not sure if you buy into this thing, this is what it means to be a Christian. Admit that you are dead and can't save yourself and believe that Jesus Christ can and has. And if you are a Christian, what it means to live into that gospel-driven life is daily, daily realize just how spiritually dead and bankrupt you are, how deep your trespasses and sins go, 
and daily hear the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Again and again, dwell on what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And then believe every day. Go back and believe and trust that you truly are forgiven, that every sin has been paid for, that you are accepted and loved because of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis, Billy Graham, Sam Berkowitz, son of Sam, and you stand outside the pearly gates. And you are given the task of figuring out who should go in first and who should go in last. And you think to yourself, well, C.S. Lewis, he was a writer and a theologian, pretty good guy. But Billy Graham, Billy Graham, he was a preacher and an evangelist, and millions of people came to faith in him. So I guess Billy Graham should be ahead of C.S. Lewis. And Sam Berkowitz, son of Sam, was a murderer in New York City. Obviously, he's behind me. So I guess there's some version of, we do this all the time. We compare, we contrast, we try and measure up. The reality is this. All of you are equally dead in your sins. The murderer and the evangelist, equally dead. You as well. All of you, all of you, C.S. Lewis, Billy Graham, son of Sam, and you, can enter the gates of heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. All three of them did come to faith in Jesus Christ. What about you?